I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Race for the Ring, episode 60, How to Nix Negativity with Dr. Kim Swalls. You're listening to The Race for the Ring. I am your host, Mindy Barnett. I'm an entrepreneur, motivational author, keynote speaker, television contributor, and a single mom. Since re-entering the dating world after my divorce, I found dating life eye-opening. In the age of Tinder, Bumble, and Hinge, there seems to be more horror stories and humor than happy endings among my friends and social circles. And I want to know why. Each week, we'll chat with a different dating queen or king, socialite or relationship expert, and explore the many facets of dating today, pitfalls to steer clear from, and how to find the finest fish in the sea. Get ready, set, go. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Race for the Ring. Today, we're going to talk about negativity. It's always a part of relationships. You can't hide from it. You have conflict. You have arguments, sometimes some fighting. But how you handle it, how you actually fight with your girlfriend or boyfriend, your partner, um, even your friends has a lot to say about you and also the longevity of whatever it is that you're engaged in for sure. So today we're going to dive a little bit into that. Um, I have a very, very talented psychologist, relationship, life coach, writer, professor, speaker, podcast host, um, and of her show called connecting with Kim, Dr. Kim Swallows, former professor and researcher on, I just gave her like all these like accolades that she's well-deserved to have. Um, She's going to talk to us a little bit about criticism in relationships, how it can be toxic and the difference between criticism versus complaining. And um, believe it or not, the first is worse than the second, if that makes sense. Criticism is much worse than com- than complaining, according to um, to our fabulous doctor and many other researchers that we will be speaking about during the conversation. Uh, I wanted to share a little bit about Dr. Kim. She's been in the industry for 25 years, basically is a full-blown um, relationship expert. She counsels family um, uh, situations. She also counsels married couples and single people. She actually was sharing with me how her practice has grown in leaps and bounds in the younger single space for sure. And um, she comes to us today from Houston, Texas. So without further ado, let's get right into some negativity with Dr. Kim. Hi, Dr. Swales. Thank you Hi. so much for joining us on the Race for the Ring. How are you doing in Houston? 
Good. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, we're excited to have you. And you have a positive attitude. So that's good because the show's concept is not about that, really. But before we get into some of uh, the relationship hiccups that come along the way, um, why don't you share with all of our listeners um, a little bit about yourself, um, being a relationship coach and all of that good stuff. Um, yeah. And I guess maybe some of the trends you're seeing today um, as we still kind of climb out of the COVID climate, I often call it. Yeah. Um, So I have my PhD in marriage, relationship and family communication, um, which is kind of a niche thing. There were only a couple programs when I did this 27 years ago, but I, as an undergraduate, just really loved the idea of studying how people can communicate and actively take a role in making their relationships better. My parents divorced when I was a kid. And so I saw how poor communication can kind of destroy a family. Mm -hmm. And I really Mm -hmm. wanted to help people do the opposite. So I did that. And when I was studying that and doing all the research, because it was very research based, I thought, well, this is great, but how can I bring this to people? Like, It's great to do research and publish in academic journals, but the only people that read them are other professors. Like y'all read that. So we had to pick a related area. So I picked counseling and I did all my coursework and all the practicums in counseling. Not really sure whether I'd be a counselor or professor. When I finished my doctorate, I did um, start a career as a professor and I loved it. I loved teaching people. And I would say like what I was teaching them, they could take home and use that day in their relationships Mm -hmm. or their families. Mm -hmm. And then um, I was at the University of Houston and I did some postdoc there and I worked in their counseling center. And I liked counseling, but I really liked helping people with their relationships. And so while I did all the training to be a therapist and a counselor, I didn't love working with like severely depressed people or people with eating disorders, or I really liked helping people who needed to work on their relationships. And so that's really what I do. I focus on relationships. So um, my practice is a lot of couples and a lot of parents. I do a lot of parenting coaching and then Mm -hmm. just a lot of women or men who just are at a point in their life where they have had failed relationships. And so they kind of need to figure out what they need to work on in themselves to have yeah. better relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And then I have a podcast called Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales, where all I talk about is connecting in relationships. I love that. Maybe you'll have yeah. me on one day. That's yeah. cool. Um, so uh, at any rate, let's talk a little bit about maybe some of the things that you're seeing. Um, and I'm curious too, do you also coach and well, I guess like, um, uh, maybe not coach, but do you, do you work with, um, any single people who are coming out of relationships or looking to get in a relationship in terms of like kind of helping them mend their ways so that they don't repeat mistakes and things like that? Tons. So it's funny you bring that up because honestly, that wasn't an area of mine that I, I I mean, it's interesting when you talk about trends, because yes, we absolutely see trends. So let me answer the second question first. It's almost a trend that I'm seeing more younger people in my practice. What I really, yeah, early on, I didn't have a lot of single people. And I think, I think it was financial. I think people who were dating and figuring out about like past relationships and how to look at past patterns. I think they didn't want to invest in themselves. Yeah. 
And now I think people are making more money younger. And so they're taking the time and the resources to invest in themselves. So yeah, I have so many, I don't, you know, it's interesting. I don't have one young man in my relationship doing it, in my practice doing this, but I have a lot of young women who are professionals who have kind of every other area of their life going the way they want. And they just need to explore maybe why their romantic relationships aren't going well. So I have a lot of that. And I love working with those women. Um, can I can I just intervene for a second yeah, about that? Yeah. I think also too that it's so much more. There's so much more awareness about therapy, um, and it, I feel like it, the stigma of going to a therapist is sort of evaporated a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, you know, people before would think at least this is my novice like impression or like opinion, I guess I should say that if you're going to a therapist, you're sad, you're depressed, you're not yeah. strong. And now it's like more of the norm. Um, and so I, maybe they just feel more comfortable doing so because they are not going to be pigeonholed in that stereotype. Number one. And number two, I think too, there's more awareness about, um, the fact that therapy, like relationship therapy, isn't just for couples. It can also help yeah. like, individuals. So yeah. that's fantastic. Yeah. I just, yeah. I've just gotten a couple new clients who are um, very young, newly divorced women who are want to figure out what went wrong. What red flags did they ignore? What things do they need to work on in themselves to bring to the next relationship? So some of the trends I'm seeing, um, it's interesting. So there's, One thing I'm seeing in the dating world with my clients is, and this is in the last year, so I'm trying to figure out if COVID has a lot to do with it, but this acceleration in relationships. Oh, yeah. What I think unhealthy. You go from yeah. 60, like, yeah. Yes. Can I say something about yeah. that? So I, yeah. I was actually just on a panel last night with the Philadelphia Inquirer. They put um, like dating and COVID or I forget mm-hmm. the exact title of it. So I was on because of the race for the ring um, mm-hmm. as, you know, and I'm also single and dating um, second time around now from divorce. So at any rate, um, that was something we talked about. I experienced that myself early on in like right at the beginning of the lockdown, I was dating Mm -hmm. somebody I had just met right before the lockdown. And it was either you either hung out in each other's homes or Mm -hmm. you didn't see each other because nothing was open, like going for coffee or wine or dinner, you know, out in a more universal area, so to speak, or neutral, I guess I should say, wasn't really an option. So like second date was at my house. Like we had dinner. He didn't sleep over, but like Mm -hmm. by the third date he did, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that kind of pushed things like quickly. Um, And we wound up breaking up, not because of that. There was other things, but we had other people talking about that. So it's either you don't go anywhere, mm-hmm. you know, like this is out after a couple of Zoom calls, or you become like really serious with a person. But uh, yes, go ahead. So now I'll take the floor back. So I just, I just, <laughs> it isn't uh, healthy though, because it, it, like the courting yeah. process is old. It's like basically skipped. So yeah, and that's I, when you can kind of find out before you're like literally in bed with a person if it's a fit or not, right? Yeah, I think. For you know, 
organic, authentic, long-term connection, if that's what people are looking for, mm-hmm. you need to naturally go through the ups and downs. You need to naturally go through the seasons. Like people, people don't ask me this much anymore, but they used to ask me early on in my career, like how long should somebody date before they get engaged or before they get married or before they move in together? And I used to say one year, give a whole season, go through all four seasons with the person, go through every holiday with them. Mm-hmm. Because in a year, you're going to face a lot of challenges. You're, someone's mm-hmm. going to get sick and you're going to see how that person shows mm-hmm. up for you when you're sick or how you show up for them. Someone mm-hmm. might have a crisis at work. Someone might, you know, you're going to you're gonna naturally kind of see the ups and downs. Whereas if mm-hmm. we accelerate things too quickly, we're looking through a false lens of intimacy and we mm-hmm. almost feel committed to the person before we even know the person. It's so true. It's really good advice, actually. Yeah. I, I remember um, when I was dating my um, well, my ex-husband now, but when I was dating my my then husband, so to speak, I um, I we, we got engaged relatively quickly. I mean, I, I wasn't because of me. Um, I guess I was just so irresistible, doctor. I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We we clicked, obviously. But I remember it was like five months. We did have a long engagement, though. We were engaged for a year. But um, this is my advice to everybody listening as someone who went through that and didn't give it the year like you're saying you should. I remember once we were engaged, I started seeing some flags here and there about certain things that, you know, not that he was a bad guy or anything like that. He's an awesome guy. But just for me, I knew wasn't exactly right. But once you're engaged and you have a ring on your finger and you're planning a wedding, it is so much hard. I mean, it's obviously easier to break an engagement versus getting divorced, but it's hard. And you, I think you're, at least for me, like my tolerance was much higher dealing with issues being engaged than it would have been if we were dating. Cause you break up, maybe we would have gotten back together, but there was a, those issues would have been addressed and I wouldn't have like gotten engaged if they weren't fixed, so to speak. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's very, very good advice, actually. Well, because we all put our best foot forward, you know, in the beginning. Yeah, when you're dating in the beginning, for sure. And it doesn't mean we're not being authentic. We're just being our best authentic, our best self. And then over time, and here's the thing. I think people think that, wow, if we really click, if we really have this deep connection, it's meant to be. But, you know, um, I've been married 25 years and I could for you. Thank you. And yeah, but, but I want to tell you, it's hard. I'm not happy every day. Sometimes no, my marriage no. is really hard. I just want yeah. people to know that. So a lot of people will look at my Instagram or my show and say, oh, you must have the best marriage. It's hard. I have a really good husband. But I know after 25 years, what makes it work is absolutely not that you click in the beginning. Mm-hmm. That's not what makes it work. What makes mm-hmm. it work is this. And I know this isn't really what you had me on to talk about, but it's no, like, it's fine. Go ahead. It's yeah. That commitment to growing together, to changing together. We have changed dramatically in 25 years. Really, both of us have changed dramatically. And so that initial click is not what sustains a long-term relationship. And people get confused by that. But when you have that year or that, you know, even if you have a quick engagement, but you have that time to really know okay, we can get through things together, like conflict and criticism, mm-hmm. which we're going to talk about today. Yes, yes, then yes. That's what sustains it is you're going to hit bumps. You're going to fall out of love. You're going to fall out of love. 
You're going to. Every People say, oh, we're getting divorced because we fell up. Everybody falls out of love. Let me just tell you, it's just keeping going and falling back in love and yeah. maintaining, you know? Yeah. So anyway, yeah, I'm well, getting off track. No, no. I, I, that's really good advice because you both have to do the work. I mean, it's not yeah. a one-way street and it definitely isn't all, you know, rainbows and like roses every day for sure. You know, you have to be committed to the person um, and stay the course. So being committed is a segue into what the show is, the theme of the show. We can certainly get off topic again. Not a problem whatsoever. No, because like it's really interesting. Often I've done shows and then I'm like, okay, we're not even talking about that. I'm changing the topic of the the show because this is like better than I would I thought. But um, I think this is important to address um, for sure. I know I myself kind of fall into the guilty category on occasion. So let's talk about first the difference between criticism and complaining um, yeah. and what's healthy, what's not healthy. And if you could give um, our listeners just a, a, a quick example of each yeah. and why they are one's toxic and one is not toxic. Yeah. And so the, the the difference is really in kind of what you're communicating about. So mm-hmm. if you form criticism in the form of a complaint, it's much healthier because of course we're not going to like everything our partner does. Criticism is actually attacking um, or criticizing the person's behavior, uh, not behavior, who they are. And complaining mm. is complaining about their behavior. And so like the simplest example I'll use for my clients, because a lot of people can identify with this and it's not an emotional topic is, you know, saying to somebody, Oh God, you're such a slob. I can't live yeah, with that you. Was me. <laughs> Leave your wet towels all over the floor. Oh yeah. yeah. That's I'm criticism. As you talk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay, so that's criticism. You're a slob. You leave your wet towels all over the floor. A complaint is to say something like, um, it it makes me upset when you leave your towels on the floor. There's a hook right there. Could you hang them up? You're complaining about the behavior. You're not telling the person they're a slob, they're lazy, they're an awful Mm -hmm. person. You're not putting them down. You're just kind of explaining. What happens when you say that and the person says, okay, go put it on the hook? (laughs) then can you become critical because that's sort of what happened to me but go ahead I think that's a really good question and because people will say well that doesn't work and that's why I go to the criticism yeah yeah but then I say this well does the criticism work do they hang up their towel when you call them a lazy slob no, then it starts into a fight. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And so it usually escalates. And um, the reason that criticism is so damaging is, you know, I kind of use this analogy of like pouring soda on a freshly painted car and it just erodes. It just eats away at it. Hmm, and that's a good that analogy. Is, okay. Yeah, it's, Especially it's for real- me, who's like a neat freak. Go ahead. <laughs> 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 yeah. I see it in my head. Very yeah. clearly. Okay. <laughs> it's, yeah. um, it's an attack. And here's what happens. The damage that criticism does to a relationship is really multifaceted. First of all, one of the things we like about our relationships our relationship is the way the other person makes us feel. When I mm-hmm. ask people, why do you like this person? Why do you like this? Oh, they make me feel so good about myself. When we're criticizing someone, we make them feel really bad about themselves. Mm-hmm. And so it's shameful. It's when 
think about somebody pointing out what's wrong with you all day long, at least from their perception, it's going to make us feel bad. And when we feel bad, we do not act lovingly. You know that expression, hurt people, hurt people. Well, if you're criticizing your partner over and over again, they're going to be hurtful. Mm -hmm. No, that makes sense. That definitely does. That's probably part of what happened initially in my marriage. But I think there was other things that were making me angry. So I probably wasn't as nice about when I would critique, say. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, oh, it's, it's good. It's because you learn and you grow from mistakes that you've made and they're not mistakes, right? But that's You right. do. And there's a simple mm-hmm. formula. So here's the thing is people are like, but I just go to that criticism place. Like that's just where I go. And mm-hmm. I always tell people like, it's a really easy formula. You say, I feel blank when blank, mm-hmm. you know, I feel worried when you don't call me to tell me you're going to be late. Mm-hmm. That's a complaint. A criticism is you're such an inconsiderate, you know, asshole. <laughs> you yeah, yeah. I don't know how to say it, but yeah. you yeah, never yeah. call me when you're going to be late. Well, that is, you know, going to start this spiral of negativity in your relationship versus saying, I feel really worried and concerned when you don't call to let me know. And and I hear what people say is, well, I might not get the same result, but you're not going to get a positive result with the name calling and the criticizing either. So, right. so my formula right. is I feel blank when you blank. And that's the best kind of way to criticize. You don't have to go on a rant. You don't have to go on a tirade. Just let the person know how their behavior brings up a feeling in you, how you feel. And you're not blaming their behavior because people will say, well, I can't make you feel that way. But the fact is when somebody, if you're a neat freak, like you say you are, and someone leaves their towels all over the bathroom floor, that's going to make you feel really anxious. Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. We were just different in that way. It's much more messy than me. But yeah, I mean, yeah, no, for sure. Definitely. It did make me feel anxious. It made me feel frustrated. It made me feel like grossed out. (laughs) And like I wanted to rip off his head, but that's another story. It's a probably different therapist. (laughs) I'm just kidding. But Um, the other thing I wanted to mention that criticism does to a relationship that I don't think people think about this part is it changes the way we start to think about our partner. We do create our own reality. And this is something I see every day. All couples come into my office and he tells a story and she tells a story and they're both right, but their realities are very different from what happened. Right, right, yeah. So when we call someone lazy or a jerk um, or we put in our mind that they're all bad versus focusing just on the negative behavior, which is the complaint, but we criticize the whole person, we start to see them that way. We start to think of them that way. And the way we see somebody, the way we think about them is how we treat them. Mm-hmm. So when you start to think about someone as inconsiderate, disrespectful, a jerk, lazy, you're going to treat them that way. And there's no help for your relationship. Your relationship just is going to be on a downward spiral. And you know, you know this, everybody knows this now because his work has become so commonplace. And I'm so grateful for this. But John Gottman has found that criticism and contempt are the biggest predictors of the end of a relationship of divorce. And they can tell within five minutes of a conversation 
a conflictual conversation whether a couple is doomed because of those characteristics. I know it's interesting. I was literally going to bring that up. That yeah. whole study that they did. So they had this. Um, they call it the Four Horsemen. Yeah, I guess for relationships. So it's yeah. like criticism. Can you talk a little bit about contempt? Because they said once you hit contempt, then you're basically in like the red zone, so to speak. Right. Yeah. So what I was saying a minute ago is when we're constantly criticizing something, someone, we start to feel really negatively about them. And that's really what contempt is. Think okay. of that, you know, when you think of the word disdain, if anyone's ever treated you disdainfully, like, like yeah. you're, they're disgusted by you. I mean, that's what contempt is when we're really, truly mean, when we treat each other, you know, with sarcasm and ridicule and just disdainfully, contemptuously. Mm -hmm. And when we do that over and over again in our relationships, it, it's really, it's poisonous. I mean, who wants to be with somebody who's treating them that way? No, that's true. I guess you're almost training your brain, right? To view them in that way. Yeah. Sort of like meditation. They teach us about gratitude and being grateful and being kind and like spreading kindness into the world. And then eventually you're just sort of more on the upbeat side. At least that's according to like, you know, folks who like preach meditation and thought and stuff like that, which I'm sort of getting into myself. But um, I guess this would be the other side of the spectrum where you're training your brain to be mean and like, just don't you see them in that way. Like you're saying you visualize them and they just gross you out like the second you see them. Right. Is that and sort of, it's so hard to recover from that. I mean, I help mm. couples do it every day, but you know, you brought up a great point. It was, you know, I had written this down actually. So one of the exercises I give couples to do is, um, to write, and it's funny because literally today or yesterday, the Gottman Institute put this out, but I've been doing this for 20 years is that, mm -hmm. and I started it, I've told the story on my podcast, when my husband and I were going through a really, really challenging time early on in our marriage, like a million things were going wrong. Our son needed head surgery. My mother-in-law passed away. Like it was just a stressful oh, time. Yeah. I started writing down three things about my husband that I appreciated or loved every day. And I left the notebook out where he would see it. And then he started writing three things down. So it was like That's our relationship. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. We didn't talk about it. It was like our relationship gratitude journal. And it's funny, literally Gottman's tip of the day, marriage tip of the day is this today as we're recording. But what happened was I was really resentful of him for a couple things. We had a new baby and he was never there because his mother was dying and he couldn't really be there. And I yeah. got that but yeah. I still was kind of mad that he wasn't there. Yeah. And so what happens is you reframe your relationship and your partner when you remind yourself of all the good that is there. And then again, you treat them as though they're that person and they become that person. Now, this is not something you do when you're dating someone necessarily a week or a month, because you're still trying to figure out, is this person the right fit for the long haul? Right. So this is like later you, on. Yeah, to ignore red flags. But mm -hmm. if you find yourself in a constantly critical state. You just exactly what you said is what you do. Flip the switch and start to remind yourself of some of the benefits of that person, of some of the good things that they bring to the relationship. Because your reality becomes what you focus on. It really That's does. That's true. It does. It's very, very true. Yeah, what you tell yourself, what you visualize becomes what is basically before you. How about defensiveness and stonewalling? Can you get into some of that? Sure. Those are the other two points in that. Yeah, so just horsemen. 
Defensiveness is when we avoid blame, when we shift blame, or when we distract from blame. Everybody does this. It's kind of a survival instinct. Everyone, you know, like if, if somebody says, you know, well, you know, it made me feel anxious or frustrated or upset when you did this. Well, I was running really late that day. I had a million reasons, you know, that's defensiveness. Um, and so what we want to do instead of be defensive is just own our mistakes, you know, just be humble, be vulnerable. Instead of being defensive, take responsibility. That's kind of the antidote to defensiveness. Okay. Stonewalling. Go ahead. Did you want to? No, no. Go ahead. I'm listening. Uh-huh. So stonewalling is when we like withdraw from the conflict. Um, and so sometimes that looks like just storming out, walking away, shutting down. But I've seen stonewalling where people get hysterical. They emotionally flood. They just start crying hysterically to shut down the argument. I, I've seen this in my office a lot. I've oh, seen really? Mm-hmm. They do it on purpose? Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> but, but let me tell you, they don't always know they're doing it on purpose. Okay. Here's what happened. Think it's of like a defense kid. mechanism. To, they have no thin, nothing to say. They're guilty as charged. So they're just going to cry. Yeah. You know, I could see that would work because I would be like, oh, <laughs> don't but, cry. I love you. Yeah. yeah. But think about a little kid who throws a tantrum and mom gives in or dad gives in because they just want to shut the kid up. They just want the tantrum to stop. Yeah, that's me. Literally. Okay. My kids. Okay. (laughs) I see that in relationships. I see that in adults where they realize things aren't going their way in the conflict. And so they suddenly hyperventilate or, you know, just go into hysterics and then the other person backs up. You're right. I'm sorry. I didn't mean because they can't stand to see their Yes, I totally see that. That's a little kooky, isn't it, doctor? Like, wouldn't you say that's not the healthiest mental state of the person who's crying uncontrollably? Like, I think act like a child and have like their own version of a tantrum or no. They don't well yeah it's not healthy it's 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 definitely not healthy conflict management but i don't think most of the time they don't realize they're doing it when i point it out and i say and it's a habit they've learned yeah. so one time they got really devastatingly upset about something and immediately they got comforted by their spouse rather than arguing and so they uh-huh. they thought well their mind told them that works And so it becomes sort of a habit. So it's not always manipulative or, you know, crazy. It's just a strategy that like, oh, well, that worked before. And and they're not always even realizing that's why they're doing it. It, Does that make sense? Hmm. Interesting. That's very interesting. Okay. So I wanted to ask you about a few more things, if I may, um, in, in regards to, you know, um, the toxicity that this creates in relationships and new relationships. Um, obviously as we date and we get, you know, into the onset of a relationship, it's important that we keep all of these skills in mind and tools that you're sharing so that we don't make mistakes as we go. Right. So I wanted to ask you, you know, um, my research basically was going through the fact that we're all wired to be on the defense and war. So it's the work is not so much about that, right? As you were saying earlier, it's more about working towards being open-minded and kind and like warm heart and all of the above. Is that right? 
Yeah. And here's something I would say, and I, I have this, um, there's, I have a friend who wrote a really good book called um, From Chaos to Connection. Um, and she says that um, you are always, 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 always part of the problem. And it's true that um, someone might have a bigger part of the problem, like in an affair or in, you know, whatever it is, it could be something really little that you're fighting about, Mm -hmm. but we do always have a part in the problem. And I think for people to are, you're right. We are wired to defend ourselves. It's a survival instinct, Mm -hmm. but to step back and say, okay, let me be humble here and think, did I do something wrong here? Was there a better choice? Could I have done something differently? If we are just being defensive, we will never solve the problem. Hmm. It's putting up a wall to solve the problem. Yeah, no, that's good advice. That's it's true. It's, it's a good insight. How about the couple bubble? Can you talk to us a little bit about that and the importance of maintaining that? The couple bubble basically was um, essentially how when you're in a relationship, you good and bad, turbulent times, smooth sailing, smart people, smart couples, so to speak, um, basically create this bubble around themselves and they're there for each other. They protect one another. Um, they're through happy times, through sad times. They have like a sense of security. They know that they have each other's back, like their yeah. bubble, so to speak. Yeah. And the importance of maintaining that allegiance to whomever you're dating once you're in a relationship or obviously if you're married um, and how that's important not to break that bubble, kind of yeah. like the COVID bubble, I guess. Like, Yeah, you know, I like that term. Um, I, I hadn't used that term really in my practice, but I read about it and I like that term. I always t- I think about it as being team members. Like mm-hmm. I will say one thing I hear over and over and over in my practice is couples saying like, I just want a cheerleader. I just want somebody that's on my team. You know, I want someone who's going to encourage me, who has my back. And I think we're all looking for that in our relationships, whether it's in a best friend, in a sister, in a romantic partner. And so I that to me is the couple bubble is that, you know, this person, even if they don't agree with you is going to really listen, is going to really support you is just really going to be there and show up for you. And I do think that's important. And I think too, the way it comes into this conflict, like criticism versus complaint is when you look at each other on the same side of the problem versus on opposite sides of the problem, you know? Mm -hmm. So if you're having a conflict and it's like, who wins the conflict, right? You're, you're not really in the couple bubble. You're not really a team. If you look at like, how can we solve this? So our relationship wins, Mm -hmm. there you go. Then you're Mm going to have success Mm -hmm. for a long time. Mm-hmm. No, it's good advice. I see that totally. I'm thinking of some of my relationships that I've had over the years and obviously my marriage and things like that. Once you kind of cross the line and you're no longer on the same team, mm-hmm. um, whether it's in a bad fight or something, it's kind of kind of be- the beginning of the end. And then there's really, it's much harder to kind of like mend that, I think, once you do cross that line and yeah. go against each other. So as we wrap up, Um, what like quick pieces of advice can you offer to us, um, our listeners out there regarding the constructive criticism or complaining versus the, um, straight up complaining? (laughs) Yeah. 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 
So a couple things, because I know a lot of your listeners are, um, you know, starting new relationships. Or hoping to be in one. Yeah. Yeah. And so I would say this, this is probably my biggest piece of advice is really pay attention to how you work as a couple in conflict. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because what we know from 45 years of research is that truly what makes couples last or not last is not sexual chemistry or physical attractiveness or being the same religion or the same political party or money. It isn't. It's how the couples handle conflict. Every couple is going to have conflict, every couple, and every couple is going to go through hard times. So as you're dating, look at how open you can be. Is the other person defensive or are they vulnerable? Are they humble? Do they take responsibility? If if somebody blames somebody else for everything, walk away. You are not going to have a long-term relationship with that. Yeah, person. no, for you sure. Know, so look at, look at how you both, and it's not just one person, look at how as a dynamic you handle conflict. Um, mm-hmm. That would be probably my biggest okay. piece of advice because that's going to really tell what your future holds. Yeah, it's true. Because if they can't handle a small hiccup, they're not going to be able to handle like a major, you know, mountain one day either. You're yeah. gonna, only, nothing's going to get better. It's just going to get worse. I think when conflict arises, yeah. so, you know, that, that's- and that doesn't mean perfection. I guess I should add that in. It doesn't mean perfection. It doesn't because I'll have couples who like, they said, well, we kind of argue a lot. That's fine. As long as you recover quickly yeah. and you know it, that you know how to have conflict without really uh, what I call belt lining, hitting below the belt. If someone yeah. goes in, you know? Yeah, no, I, I actually was, um, a couple different times, different people. Um, I don't conduct myself that way ever, really. I, I really hate conflict. Tr- truthfully, I, I shy away from it if ever possible. Not yeah. to say I'm a pushover, but I just like, I don't like to be, I don't like drama. I like to just kind of do my thing. I like to be supportive and be happy. And I feel like life is short. So why create extra stress mm-hmm. than you need, right? But, um, you know, on occasion, you'll be dating somebody that brings out the worst of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, but I stopped myself dead in my tracks in each of those cases with different people. And I was like, this isn't me. Like I'm not, you're bringing out a bad, ugly side of me that I just am not, I don't want on this is yeah. not how I want to be. And I don't conduct myself this way. So, but when someone's like presses your button so much and like acts like in a certain way, I think it's hard not to dish it back. You know, it takes a lot of self-control not to after a while it's hard. So oh, that's yeah. very, very good advice because I think how you fight with each other it's not even so much the fighting that's bad. It's like, I mean, obviously I don't want to be someone you're fighting with all the time, but it's not even that. I feel from my point of view, I feel like it's more how you fight than the fight itself. If you're nasty, yes. as you say, with the below the belt hitting and such, right? And you know what? This is an interesting phenomenon that I just thought of as you were talking. Can I tell you that nine times out of 10, when I have a couple sitting in my office and they'll say, should we tell her? Should we tell her about the fight we had? And I'm like, of course, if you don't tell me, I can't help you. Right. Right. But they don't, they hardly ever remember what they were fighting about. (laughs) Yeah, I can see that. But they remember the mean words, the insults and the name calling. That is what stays with you. And that is what erodes 
or poisons your relationship. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you're fighting about, really. It's how you do it that is mm-hmm. damaging to the relationship if you don't mm-hmm. do it in a healthy way. It's painful. It physically hurts when someone yeah. is mean to you like that. No, yeah. I know. Awful. All right. Well, on that awful note, let's tell everybody how they can find you. Yes. And and when your podcast comes out and all that stuff too. Yeah. So my podcast is called Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales. It is everywhere you listen to podcasts. I talk about relationships, parenting, um, psychology, mental health. Today's that came out. It's Thursday when we're recording this. It comes out every Thursday. Today's about self-care and self-compassion. So, I mean, that everybody can listen to. Yeah. And you can find me on Instagram at Dr. Kim Swales, S-W-A-L-E-S. And I post probably about five days a week um, relationship tips and psychology tips, parenting tips, um, self-help tips. That's fantastic. All right. Well, thank you so much. You've been very insightful and informative. I appreciate you and have a great rest of the day. Thank you. I love talking to you. Me too. Okay, bye. Thank you for listening to The Race for the Ring. If you liked today's episode, please write us a review. They can make or break a good podcast, just like a dull dude can be the kiss of death to a date. I'll catch you next week. And in the meantime, be sure to say hi and follow me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. My handles and contacts are in the show notes. It's been my pleasure to have you along for today's dating debate. Bye-bye. Today's episode was brought to you by Furco's Fine Jewelry. The family-owned business is best known for their handcrafted statement pieces, engagement rings, and fashion finds. Visit them on Instagram at Furco's Fine Jewelry and make them your go-to when shopping for a special gift for a loved one, friend, or for yourself. Race for your ring and use special code MINDY15 at checkout for 15% off your first purchase. Happy shopping!